Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, the email was short. You've offended me. I'm not listening any longer. Yeah, did I offend you? Have I offended you? Someone else hurt your feelings yesterday? Were you insulted? You know, we say we want to be like Jesus, and um, and then people treat us like people often treated Jesus, and we're surprised. <laughs> We pick up the offense. We are offended. Let's just think about that for just a moment. We say we want to be like Jesus. And then when people treat us like people often treated Jesus, we're surprised. We get offended. We pick up the offense and then we carry it around. Yeah, so throughout the letters of First and Second Peter, we read words from the man who was arguably Jesus's best friend in life, a man who ultimately died by crucifixion upside down um, because of his allegiance to Jesus. Peter says in one place, beloved, he's talking to fellow believers, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. A chapter later in 1 Peter 10, or 1 Peter 5, verse 10, he says, and after you have suffered a little while. So the assumption there is that Christians suffer after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace who has called you by his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There's an assumption of suffering. Um, Christians, the followers of Christ, the people whose first allegiance was not to an earthly king or a crown, not to a nation or a state, but to Jesus, his kingdom come, his will be done. Christians. Christians have been insulted and persecuted and falsely accused of all kinds of evil in every generation. And all kinds of evil has been done against them. This has actually been the way of Christians everywhere in the world since the days of Jesus. There's been this one part of the world in this one period of history where Christians had such influence that over time, this reality of consistent persecution changed. And so you and I have been uh, living as beneficiaries of hundreds of years of Christian influence in what we have historically called the Western world. And so 30 years ago, about 30 years ago, an organization called Open Doors started um, aggregating a world watch list 
they wanted to track the global phenomenon of the persecution of Christians. And you might hope that the world was um, growing in its appreciation of the presence and influence of Christians over that period of time, but you'd be wrong. So globally, right now, right now, more than 360 million of our Christian brothers and sisters suffer at least high levels of persecution and discrimination simply because of their faith. So Open Doors um, began the World Watch List in 1993, 30 years ago. And 30 years ago, Christians faced high to extreme levels of persecution in 40 countries around the world. And you say, that, that's terrible. The number today, 76 countries. So Christians faced high to extreme levels of persecution in 40 countries 30 years ago. And today, Christians face high to extreme levels of persecution in 76 countries around the world. And in the top 50 of those countries, 312 million Christians now face very high or extreme levels of persecution. Right now, today, worldwide, one in every seven Christians are actively experiencing at least high levels of persecution, discrimination. One in five in Africa, two in five in Asia, one in 15 in Latin America. Christians are being actively persecuted. And yet we, we are surprised and offended when it happens to us. <laughs> Does it offend you for me to point out that in Christ, you will have suffering? You will be insulted, mocked, bullied, abused, targeted, canceled. Yes, persecuted. For Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake. Jesus himself told us to expect as much, and today, today's verse of the day is both a great promise that also comes at a great price. And unless we consider the price that Jesus paid, I don't think we understand the blessing he promises. So where in the word are you today? I'm in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. It is today's growing your faith verse of the day. Jesus says, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed. Mm. We've all heard it said that those who fail to remember the lessons of history will be doomed to repeat them. And so we're going to spend a little time focusing on the past and the things that are necessary for us to remember um, that we might learn well the lessons of history and that as people privileged to live today, um, we might lead in the conversations that are taking place in the culture. So what do you value about education and what do you value about a liberal arts education? What is the value of studying and knowing the past that we might live and serve well into the future? Our friend Jeff Bilbro is going to join us for a conversation about the value of 
liberal arts education. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Jeff Bilbro is back, serves at Grove City College. Uh, we also like to read what he posts at Front Porch Republic, where he aggregates uh, a list called The Water Dipper. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. You found yourself in quite a flood in New York City. There was a lot of water to be dipped. Yeah, there was uh, apparently some, uh, the outskirts of some hurricane hit and uh, flooded many streets and subways. Yeah, crazy. So what were you doing in New York City? Yeah, so uh, this summer we published a book with Plow. Uh, I helped co-edit. Uh, it's been a kind of three-year project um, that started right after the pandemic hit to try to take a step back and think about the value of liberal arts education in a time of economic scarcity and social unrest and think about what this tradition might have to offer for our current cultural moment. And so uh, in New York City this weekend, we had a book launch and celebrated the publication of the book with uh, educators and journalists and uh, concerned citizens. And so, yeah, it was a good, encouraging time of conversation. So the book is called The Liberating Arts, Why We Need Liberal Arts Education. Um, It's not expressly Christian. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, most of the authors are Christian and teach at Christian colleges, but not all. And so we kind of tried to walk that line of, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're teaching at a Christian institution or you're in this this uh, field because of theological convictions, then articulate those. So many of the chapters have an expressly theological uh, lens, mm-hmm. but others don't. And we wanted to try to be hospitable and and. Uh, you know, build common ground with folks where we can. Yeah, I think that's um, that's really positive. Um, th- liberal arts education is good for everyone. I mean, I would think that's yeah. the basic argument here. So exactly. let's take a step back and let's answer the question, um, what is a liberal arts education? Because I do think that, Jeff, we tend to, we talk about the value of something. We're talking, sometimes in our culture, we talk about what somebody is willing to pay for it. And if right. I think about the cost, I think about the cost of a college education, particularly a liberal arts college education. And then I say, well, is it valuable in terms of the marketplace out there? Like, is somebody going to be willing to pay my kid um, if they get a liberal arts education? That's really not the way we're talking about value. Um, and maybe that's the wrong way to think about the value of a liberal arts education. Yeah, I'd agree. And so we do have a chapter in the book that addresses the sort of monetary value because we think that's you know a legitimate concern and that it's a it's demonstrable so i think there is it's a fair question and we try to address that but most of the book is focused on the kind of non-monetary value that is offered you know one way i like to think about it is um that it takes work to be to exercise your freedom as a human person well and because of the fall because of our sinful human nature we don't naturally have the kind of formation um required to to be free well uh, one of my friends likes to compare it to playing the piano you know if if no one is constraining you from playing the piano that doesn't mean you can just sit down and make beautiful music you might not have that freedom but if you have disciplined yourself through years of practice, 
then you might become the kind of person who is free to make beautiful music. And so a liberal education is designed to make people who are free uh, to live a good life, to, to live well um, and, and be a blessing to their communities. And ultimately, I think, uh, be a friend of God. Are the liberal arts liberal? Like, I think that when we hear the word liberal, I mean, some people just bristle because the word liberal yeah. is in it. Yeah. Well, that's one of the chapters in the book is, are the liberal arts liberal? And um, no, and we try to get back, you know, it's, it's one of these questions like you lose, you try to change the jargon, change the word because of the connotations that have um, developed over time. And I think liberal is a word that's worth recovering in its etymological sense of um, appropriate to someone who's free. Mm. And liberal is such a great word because it links both freedom with generosity, that one of the obligations of a person who is liberated is that they ought to be liberal in the sense of generous, uh, that you ought to use your freedom to, to bless others rather than use it in a purely self-interested, uh, self-serving fashion. And, and I think as Christians, that is precisely the kind of freedom that we see Christ talk about or the, the Apostle Paul talk about in the New Testament. All right, next, I'm going to uh, ask our friend Jeff Bilbro about um, his chapter in the book, uh, The Liberating Arts. And I hope, um, Jeff, that uh, we can talk about things that are trivial and things that are like weighty and worth spending our time and attention yeah. on, because we live in a time of such great distraction by so many um, trivial things that we lose sight of um, of the eternal things upon which we ought to be focusing our uh, focusing our attention. So we're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Bilbro here in just a moment. He serves at Grove City College. We're talking today about a brand new book that he not only um, is a co-author of, but an editor of as well, The Liberating Arts, Why We Need Liberal Arts Education. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, this is a community of believers, and we gather together here and we all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. We hear a lot about um, liberal arts portions of curricula being eliminated um, from institutions across the country, and we uh, and we talk with young people about the quote unquote value of what they're going to study and, and what kind of job they're going to get on the other side of of college. In particular, um, we're talking with Jeff Bilbro about the value, the real value, why we need liberal arts education today, not just at the college level, but um, but why we need to be reading great books and why we need to be um, talking about the scientific method and training our kids in 
uh, in everything related to what have historically understood been understood as liberal arts and a liberal arts edu- education. So Jeff's got a chapter um, in uh, in a new book. The book is The Liberating Arts, Why We Need Liberal Arts Education. Jeff's got a chapter in section six. Section, section six of the book is Aren't the Liberal Arts Outdated? And Jeff's chapter is The Liberating Potential of Knowing the Past. So, Jeff, what is the liberating potential of knowing the past? Yeah. So obviously one of the questions folks ask about this kind of education is, you know, isn't it just kind of a waste of time to study old things when people were wrong back back in the right. day? Shouldn't we just we, be teaching kids coding? Yeah, like, right? Exactly. That's it. Like, yeah. why are we just focusing on STEM stuff? Yep. Yeah. And so what I try to do in that chapter, actually, I draw a lot on C.S. Lewis, who I think is really good in, on this question, um, is, is sort of talk about how learning the past and understanding where we have come from as a culture, as, as people, helps us to get some perspective on uh, both maybe the assumptions and prejudices of um, our own culture, our own time. And then check those or test those against the assumptions and prejudices of previous eras to recognize that, you know, this is not the only way of looking at the world, the one that we inhabit. And and Lewis talks about how people in previous eras, previous times, certainly didn't get everything right, but they were wrong in different ways than we are wrong. And so mm. it can be very instructive to put on their glasses uh, look at the questions they're asking, their way of looking at the world, um, and internalizing that. And then think, wow, maybe, yeah, there are some things here that I would disagree with. But, whoa, they're just asking questions I'm not even thinking about. And they are uh, taking for granted some things that I question. And so it provides, you know, Lewis compares it to going to a different country and spending time in a different culture. It teaches you to see your own place, your own culture through new eyes and maybe question it in ways that we previously weren't weren't able to do so that's one benefit and then i think um as christians hopefully then it gives us the opportunity to uh return to our own time and place with um a kind of wealth uh, of wisdom to apply you know christ talks about the stewards of the kingdom of god bringing out of the storehouses um treasures both old and new that we can bring uh, the treasures of the past to bear uh, to address the needs of the present. Yeah, when I think about uh, all of the blessings of God, um, too numerous to count. Uh, and when I think about those treasures that um, He not only bestows, but that He like unlocks for us over time by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and by our diligent pursuit not only of his presence and power, but um, but of the things that we can learn, the wisdom, the genuine wisdom offered. I guess, you know, even the books we read, and I guess in particular here, maybe focus in on where we spend our time reading, what we're actually consuming with our eyes and ears um, throughout the day. This gets to the question of all of the things that are pressed in upon us all the time as quote-unquote important and then that which is really important. Can you just talk yeah. about that? I mean, every day, you know, I have a limited amount of time and how I literally spend that time, what I spend it on says a lot about what I value. Yeah, and, and you're right that 
uh, in the pressing immediacy of the urgent, we can often lose sight of the eternal, what's really important. Um, you know, we, we are so connected and we have so many demands on our attention. And so it is hard, absolutely, to carve out time um, to uh, sit with things that are wise and eternal. I thought, you know, hope as Christians, we at least do that every day to, to read the Bible and to pray, to spend some time in contemplation and reflection. But beyond that, I think it's crucial that we make time in our lives to read old books, to spend time with things that are of lasting value, because otherwise we become formed only by the immediate and the urgent. And we just have no, no ballast to, to kind of steer a steady course through the turmoil of the present. Um, so, you know, what kind of person are we being formed to be? What kind of soul are we being formed to be? And that's a, that's a question that's going to be with us for eternity. Um, the, the way that we're being formed now is who we're going to be the rest of eternity. Who we are going to be now um, is forming who we're going to be for the rest of eternity. That That's going to give me pause and make me think about how I spend my day, how I spend the hours I have in this day, um, what I pay attention to. The words spend and the word pay are interesting to me there. Yeah. I think that as we think about um, what it's costing us to be focused on, as you describe it, the immediate and the urgent versus um, the attention that we pay and the time we spend on things that are eternal um, and and things that are worthy, you know, full of wisdom, timeless. Um, I just, those are just all really good um, observations and encouragements today. Yeah, it's worth thinking about every day and reassessing um, the patterns of our attention, the patterns of our life. All right, so what are you spending your day on today? How are you going to spend your time? Um, what are you going to pay attention to? What is your time and attention worth? Just think about those words, all those words that come forward right there. Um, the word pay in terms of paying attention or what's worth your time um, or how are you spending your day. Just um, just consider for a moment that there's real value um, in where you put your time and attention, your eyes, your thoughts, your words, your steps, the movements and motions of who you are as a person walking your faith out into the world that God so loves. And we just want to encourage you to pay attention and spend your time and um, find worthy of your attention those things that are eternal and timeless and good and godly and true. Um, so that sounds a little bit like Paul's admonition in Philippians in terms of where we, <laughs> where we um, invest ourselves. Jeff, as always, thank you so much um, for joining us. Sure thing. Thank you, Carmen. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. When you think about um, what you have access to uh, today, I want you to consider um, all of the ways in which information is pressed in upon you and what is vying for your attention. Um, and, you know, 
there are things that are kind of grasping at us and begging us to pay them attention, right? And so just think about that. Everything, every single one of those is costing you something. Um, there is literal value to your time. It's the one thing you're not going to get any more of. You cannot buy more time. Um, and so just, to, just consider that today. There's an, it, you are making an investment in, um, in every moment. And so how you spend every moment really does matter. So encourage you in that today. Um, so you got a Bible handy? We say, well, yeah, I always got a Bible handy because my phone is right here. How about a physical Bible? Uh, I am a fan of having a physical Bible. I'm a fan of uh, turning pages and taking marginal notes. I'm a fan of underlining and highlighting. I, I mean, I am a fan uh, of all of those things. And so um, when, when I come upon an opportunity like uh, bring your Bible to school day, which by the way is tomorrow, if you hadn't already put that on your calendar, bring your Bible to school day is tomorrow. Um, maybe you could think about like finding a physical Bible to carry around tomorrow. Um, because it would be a wonderful demonstration to young people that, you know, we're carrying our Bibles around on the same day that we're encouraging them to carry their Bibles around. So it might seem like a really small act of faith, um, but it it has profound impact. My husband, Jim, uh, in part came to faith because a boy named John carried his Bible to school. Like, that's how Jim knew that was the guy to talk with when the question was raised to him, if you died tonight, do you know where you would, where you would be, where you would go, where you would spend eternity? And because Jim didn't know the answer to that question, but he did know a guy that carried a Bible around all the time, that's the guy he asked. Just think about that for just a moment. Like there's a, there's a very simple, tangible witness in carrying your Bible with you. Once you just imagine if you're going out for coffee and you're going to be sitting in a coffee shop, the witness and testimony it is to just lay a Bible on the table, to just lay it on the table. You become the person that other people begin to recognize as, hey, there's a person that I could talk with, I could turn to um, when I'm ready to ask questions and talk about eternal things. Because there's a person who knows God. They're carrying God's word around. It's a small act of faith, but it ripples. It has an incredible ripple effect. So that's why um, I want to encourage you to encourage others to participate in Bring Your Bible to School Day. It is tomorrow. It's going to be happening across the country. It's an annual event sponsored by our friends over at Focus on the Family. Um, it's been going on for about a decade, and um, nearly a million students across the United States participated last year. So they're hoping for over a million this year, which means, you know, they need us to encourage our kids and kids we know to carry their Bible to school tomorrow. Um, so uh, you're going to probably be hearing a lot about it because there's a lot of quote-unquote Christian celebrities that are promoting Bring Your Bible to School Day. And so I just thought we would add our voice here to that effort. There are places in the world where such an act, such an act, carrying your Bible to school, taking your Bible into a coffee shop, there are places in the world where such an act would get you arrested, beaten, or even killed. So we have the freedom right now to carry our Bibles around in the United States in plain sight. And so let us um, have that be a part of our public uh, witness, not just tomorrow, but in the days to come. 
Our friend Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News is going to join us next. We're going to talk about what in the world is going on in the world. And some of it is really good news, um, and some of it is, is hard news as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Ruth Kramer is joining us now from Mission Network News. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. How are you? Um, well, I am well. I am well. It is uh, World Animal Day, so, you know, I'm just got to find one thing, right? One little perk of each day to just lift up and be like, all right, I'm just going to I'm gonna look at pictures of little, little kittens and dogs today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, Azerbaijan, Armenia and Azerbaijan, because this is, um, this is, we've been talking about this troubling part of the world. Things here have gotten very, very difficult for people. Can you talk with us about what is happening? Um, uh, I, I understand that the conflict has been reduced, but, you know, wow, still a, a horrible reality for so many people. Well, yeah, I mean, for people who are on either side of the border, uh, right now there's uh, the roads between uh, the region of Nagorno-Karabakh and Armenia are are closed. Um, the tensions obviously uh, uh, rose to a crisis peak a couple of weeks ago, and uh, right now they're looking at a ceasefire. It seems to be holding, but the tensions are there because it's a it's a dispute. It's a dispute over key territory. You've got separatists involved, um, and and it's it's just going to be difficult until it as it is resolved. Uh, our partners are Slavic Gospel Association, and they are very very concerned about the humanitarian aspect of this because um, there's no way to get food into the region. Uh, so SGA has been working with four churches um, that were expressing some. Uh, extreme need. And so SGA has found a way to be able to assist them. Um, They were actually assisting churches in purchasing potatoes from farmers. So it's not actually food aid that's going in. They were able to get in uh, funds to be able to purchase food that was locally produced. And that's 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 even better because it supports the economy. Um, But locals are still concerned about more conflict because, you know, this situation in September um was kind of unexpected uh so it seemed like there would be just anything that can set it off again and and everything's everybody is uh very tense as this situation continues um be praying for the armenian churches uh pray for peace and for unity across borders uh they are uh hoping that conflict doesn't start again because there really isn't a family in either of these areas that hasn't been touched by the conflict so there's a lot of grief there's a lot of mourning there's a lot of bitterness um and and that's that's running very counter to what the gospel says and it it's it makes the gospel very attractive in a time when people are searching for some answers and and searching for peace um so be praying for our partners with Slavic Gospel Association in a very difficult situation India is now the most populous nation in the world. Um, we hear a lot about uh, believers in India um, under all kinds of of challenge, but there are lots of ministries that uh, also seek to um, serve people in India and reach uh, reach the lost for Christ. Um, in India, there is a Foreign Contribution Regulation Act. We've actually talked about this on prior occasions, but it's been a couple of years. So this Foreign Contribution Regulation Act is necessary in order for uh, ministries to receive foreign funding. 
um, and even register for a license. So talk with us about what's going on there. Well, the, the discussion recently was uh, because that FCR registra- FCRA registration deadline uh, was supposed to expire on September 30th. So if you had your paperwork in, you were okay, but a lot of organizations didn't have their paperwork in yet and um, were kind of waiting on pins and needles uh, because they weren't going to be able to meet that deadline. But because of the situation the way it is, India just extended the uh, certificates, the registration certificates that are pending review until March 31st. Now, this is not uncommon. It has been going on for probably a year and a half. It's been extended by three months, six months, and things like that. Um, But the issue there is as uh, India delays dealing with the paperwork, because this actually generates a lot of extra paperwork, um, the ministries that are affected by not being able to have funding without their license um, can't make any long-term plans. I mean, they can tell donors you can still give uh, for now, um, but they can't make any long-term plans like building or um, setting up a program to support children in a certain area. That that really complicates things. And then when the government does decide not to renew the certificates, then the ministry finds itself um, basically unable to operate operate within the country. And, and we've seen that happen to like Compassion International, World Vision, um, Amnesty International. Those are three main NGOs that actually lost their certificates and had to um, basically pivot. Uh, they're out of the country officially, but they had to pivot to be able to continue reaching people that they were connected with. Um, our partners are Bible for, Bibles for the World. And they've been watching the situation. They have two um, main organizations that work under them in India, and one of them has had a renewed certificate and the other has not. So the other one has their their paperwork in and they're just waiting for that to be basically uh, approved and renewed. But each one of these applications is dozens of pages of paperwork and it has to be uh, resubmitted before the next deadline again every time you have one of these extensions. So the government is 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 creating a ton of paperwork for itself, a lot of red tape. Um and and it feels like it's sort of a delay. It's it's a um a way to complicate um a lot of the ministry work because the Indian government sometimes sees NGOs like ministries um as a way that they're trying to undermine Indian culture um, and find a way to uh, delay it to the point where it's not going to function anymore. Um, so be praying for the ministries that are dealing with the FCRA uh, issues because it is it is a very stressful point. The ministries on the ground in India um, that are kind of in that no man's land, they're just waiting, uh, is very difficult. Pray that they will wait well and ask God to really um, provide for their needs as they sit in this no man's land. Yeah, I um, I remember it's been, I don't know, uh, 2016, 2017, when Compassion uh, announced that it was ceasing operations in India because the Ministry of Home Affairs had, um, you know, was not approving um, the transfer of funds that, you know, obviously are necessary in order um, for a ministry to operate. Um, there were like nearly 600 church partners directly affected and obviously all of Compassion's staff. And they'd been there for 48 years. So uh, this is one of those 
places. India is one of those places where you can have a really vibrant ministry for a really long time, and then um, the the shift can take place, and you can find yourself um, completely unable to continue to do ministry. So obviously growing the church, um, you know, equipping disciples where they are um, for indigenous leadership of all kinds of ministries is absolutely essential as the world becomes more and more hostile um, to international organizations. I think that's, uh, that'd be my, my takeaway, Ruth. That's a good takeaway. Um, yeah. This is one of those situations where our brothers and sisters in Christ are asking us to walk alongside them. Um, nobody knows what ca- helping to carry that burden is going to look like in the near future. Yeah. Um, you've got a story also posted here um, about, you know, folks who were celebrating a two-year-old's birthday party um, and uh, that you know, folks stormed in. I just, this is one of those situations where you just can't even imagine this happening anywhere, but um, it happened because this family um, are Christians. Yeah, well, the father mentors a children's Bible club through Mission India, and he also hosts church services in his home. So he's had trouble before from extremists who wanted to stop his activity, Um, but this just kind of took it to the next level. Uh, the, The mob that broke into his home disrupted not only the party, but they were extremely uh, aggressive about how they were threatening the guests at the party, including the children. And they were about to start stoning people, and they saw that there was a security camera, and that's why they stopped and they left. Um, But when the police actually were called in, they actually favored the anti-Christian activists and filed a case against this um, this uh, believer and um, uh, for the activity that he was involved with uh, be- because his he had a church, because he was hosting uh, services in his home, because he was uh, mentoring this children's Bible club, um, they decided that it was activity that was um, uh, running afoul of the anti-conversion laws. So this is a thing where it's not over, even though the party the situation there has been resolved. Uh, His situation in legal terms has just begun. And with the the way that India's courts handle cases like this, this can drag on for years and years and years, which means that uh, when he has to appear before court, um, he might have to appear once a month before court. So he has to drop what he's doing and make the trip down to where the courthouse is, is located. And his hearing might be delayed. It might be postponed. It might be whatever it is, but he still has to be there. Um, we've seen this happen over and over and over again with a lot of partners that have um, had to deal with something on an anti-conversion case, um, an accusation of some sort, and and defend themselves. And it can go on for maybe seven years sometimes. So be praying for this church leader. His name is Raxit, um, and be praying that uh, he will not be discouraged, that he won't be intimidated into silence because that's what this kind of activity is is meant to do. It's meant to intimidate believers into silence. Um, Pray that he'll be bold. Um, Also, Mission India wanted to point out that um, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church is coming up on November 5th. It's a key time to be focused on praying for our Christian brothers and sisters who face persecution. Um, And Mission India is releasing a week-long devotional prompting prayer and support for persecuted Indian believers like Raxit and his family. Um, The first uh, devotional will be um, going out on Monday, October 30th. If you're interested in participating in it, we've got a link at our website. 
missionnews.org. Um, what are you wearing right now? If you're listening, I want you to just, you know, consider what you're wearing right now. Um, what are you planning to wear today? Who might that offend? Who might what you're wearing offend? China is, uh, is concerned that you might be wearing something that hurts the nation's feelings. We'll talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen. Wow, what a season of giving. We're busting at the seams with gratitude. Thank you so much. I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen on listener-supported Faith Radio. Your generosity is humbling. Your prayerful financial partnership is inspiring. Thank you so much for giving and joining us as we bring that day to bear on this day and we make this day count for that day. If you didn't get a chance to give, you can make this day count for that day at MyFaithRadio.com. Let me just go on record as saying it's a good thing. It's a good, good thing that we are in the United States of America or um, it's quite possible that our friend Ruth might have to change her shirt so that we could continue this conversation. <laughs> what, Ruth, what are you wearing? My shirt says Nike, Nike, Nike. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, let me just go on record as saying that uh, because Nike is the Greek goddess of victory, I am offended as a Christian that you would be, uh, that you would be wearing, uh, you know, such a pagan uh, T-shirt. And I'm also offended as an American because Nike is a Greek and this is America so good thing, uh, good thing that we're in the United States of America, or you might have to change your shirt. What am I talking about uh, in relationship to China? This is a new proposed law in China that would actually ban clothing that hurts the nation's feelings. Now, the law says, uh, the, the proposal says... <laughs> this, this wearing, right there. It, wait a second, wait a second. This is, that hurts the nation's feelings? Yes. Like that's, uh-huh. how, how, how are we going to judge whether or not the nation's feelings, as if the nation is... Um, a person. Um, how, how are we going to judge if the nation's feelings are hurt by something? I mean, that's a huge question, right? And that's part of the problem. Um, the law is st- the, the wording in it says that the wearing in public places of clothing and symbols that damage the spirit of the Chinese nation or that hurt the feelings of the Chinese people. But it's really vague. It's very broad. And there's no concrete examples of what might violate the law. Um, additional wording in it um, uh, bans producing, disseminating, or publicizing products, articles, or speech that are deemed to be damaging to China's spirit. It's it's so broadly written um, that it it is leaving it to interpretation um, of basically anybody who would be enforcing this law. There's also nobody, no indication in the law that uh, tells you who's going to be making those decisions. Um, so it's it's very loosely written. And what it, it reminds me of is a lot of the uh, anti-conversion legislation mm-hmm. uh, or uh, anti-Christian legislation, specifically in places where it's been used against a believer um, for hurting the feelings of the nation, um, particularly like Turkey. We've seen language that is similar uh, being used against believers as they're imprisoned for doing gospel work or something like that. Now, this law doesn't actually specify gospel work, but because it's not specific, it can be used in interpretation here. The concerning thing here is that um, if it moves if it moves into ministry, now if you can ban it on a shirt, you could ban it in a book and if you can or you can ban it from the pulpit or in a conversation. So with the sharing of the gospel, um, there's potential here that this could be extrapolated further into covering 
uh, a lot of other things that China might see as a threat to its um, Chineseness, the, the scenization of of what it is to be Chinese, um, because uh, obviously, as we've seen the persecution increasing, the pressure increasing against believers, against uh, freedom of religion in China, it is because they regard what is happening in the Christian um, um, church, in the body of Christ as something that isn't Chinese. So that's something to be watching. It's a proposed law right now, so it isn't actually on the books. But the fact that it's actually been brought up uh, is just something to be uh, uh, just wary of. Um, Keep an eye on it. Be praying about it. Pray that it won't pass because this kind of stuff can just uh, spiral out of control real fast. I want to end on a note of good news here. Um, There is a mosque, a Muslim mosque in Pakistan, uh, broadcasting the Bible. What? I mean, is nothing impossible (laughs) with God? This is an awesome story. Um, This actually is taking place in an Afghan refugee village in northern Pakistan. A village tribal chief uh, was having trouble with his son. And over time, he noticed that the kid's attitude had actually softened and and he began to be kind of a different person. So he asked him what was going on. And the kid told him that he'd gotten a hold of a Keys for Kids storyteller. Now, storyteller is a solar-powered MP3 player that contains an audio Bible and Keys for Kids devotionals. And he'd been listening to it to the point where he came to place his faith in Jesus. And he told his dad about this. And now um, this is from Keister Kids, of course. Um, Greg Yoder tells us that the Muslim chief said, if this can change my son's heart, we need to have more in this village. So then 200 of them were brought into the village. Um, And then as he's listening to the content on these storytellers, he decides that accompanying the Muslim call to prayer, they're going to play keys for kids in audio over the loudspeakers from the mosque prior to the Muslim call to prayer. So, you know, this is in Urdu, uh, and this is something where in this village, it's an Afghan village in northern Pakistan, people in that village are now hearing God's word and a keys for kids devotional every day from the, the loudspeakers in the call to prayer as before, uh, before the Muslim call to prayer goes. Um, be praying that the the seed that's being planted takes root. Um, they've already supplied, Keys for Kids has already supplied several thousand storytellers to this region, and they're all gone already. So they're also raising more funds to produce more Urdu storytellers. Um, this is a really exciting thing to, to see as the partner is uh, FMI, and we've, uh, we've heard from FMI a number of times working in some very difficult regions in Pakistan. So they're, they're out and about and getting God's word disseminated in ways that we would not be expecting. It's just it's such exciting news. All right. There's a there's a whole lot more for you to be um, catching up on and reading about at missionnews.org. Ruth, as always, thank you so much for joining us Um, as you consider the word of God and its power to transform your life and the lives of others. I want you to consider like where where is it possible for you to share the Bible with somebody today? We've talked about um, taking the Bible to school tomorrow. Um, but I guess I'm also wondering, like, how are you going to carry the word out into the world that God so loves today? How are you going to carry it in your heart? How are you going to um, pray and speak it over other people? Um, yeah, let's be the people of the word today, not just people who have the word within us or who have access to the word, but people who genuinely share the word of God with others in the world around us. Like it has transforming power. You know what it's done to renew your own mind. You know what it's done to um, reveal to you the character and the will of God. You know um, how important 
the Bible is in your life. So what will it look like today for you and I to be ambassadors of the Word of God in the world that He so loves? So not just walking our faith out there, um, you know, hoping that people will see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. Yeah, that's a part of it. But what does it actually look like to be people who disseminate the Word of God today in the world in which we live? We got another hour together next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.